Well, good morning. Welcome to worship. I'm glad you're with us today, whether you're uh, here in person in the sanctuary or whether you are at home online. We hope you're blessed by the service and you enjoy the fantastic weather that we've been gifted. Imagine a world where people who have desperate needs, who need help, you know, maybe it's physically or emotionally, um, relationally or spiritually, are avoided by the very people who are supposed to help them. That's the world into which this scripture passage is is situated. The passage that was read just a minute ago from Matthew chapter 9, there's a situation where people who desperately need help are avoided by the very people who are supposed to be the avenues or the sources of that help. Let me explain. Today we are continuing the sermon series we, we kicked off uh, a few weeks back entitled Adventures in Missing the Point. And what's this about? Just to give you an overview is we're looking at the interactions between Jesus and this first century group of Jewish religious leaders called the Pharisees. And these interactions are encounters are recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And we see where Jesus uh, will say something or Jesus will, will do something. And the Pharisees, for some reason, they miss the point. It goes over their head, maybe because they're blinded by their worldview and their, their stubbornness and their pride. Sometimes it's willful ignorance where they, they understand the point and they know the point's directed at them and it challenges their, their views of God and life and religion. And rather than letting that point hit home and change them, they instead go on the attack because they're angry or embarrassed or resentful or proud, and they they go on the attack and they attack Jesus. Now, why would they do that? Now, real quickly, we need to recap that often we we think of the Pharisees and we we kind of make them the villain, the bad guys. You know, we demonize them, we take their worst features, and we emphasize those worst features. But as we saw in previous weeks, really, a lot of us, we have a lot in common with the Pharisees. What do I mean by that? Well, their intention when they began was to honor God. They wanted to please God. Uh, they were people of the word. They could, they could quote chapter. They could quote verse. Uh, they, they were people who really wanted to obey God's commands as best they could. They wanted to be different from the people around them. They wanted to live in such a way that people knew that they were God's people. They were people that... You know, you'd want your daughter to marry you. There were people that you would want your sons to grow up to be. There were people that you would hope would greet you in the synagogue or that you could do business with them. So how did they go wrong and why did they keep missing the point? How did this happen? Well, you can tell even from their very name and the meaning of their name that where they begin to kind of lose their way. Uh, the Pharisees were meant, it basically means separated ones. So from the very beginning, they saw themselves as people who were separated out, different than people around them. And that led to a a view that maybe they were better than the people around them, that they should be separated away from them because they were better than them. And and this stood in contrast to the group in their day known as the Hellenists. This was a group of of Jewish people who who embraced the Greco-Roman world without question, So you have these two extremes, those who are totally separated and reject everything except for their own little worldview and culture and those who embrace everything around them. 
So how do we avoid missing the point? How do we be, you know, as the Bible tells us, in the world, but not of it? How do we make sure that we are those who are doing the influencing rather than being influenced and pulled away? You know, we look at our, 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 our culture, our Christian culture, and sometimes it seems like we've turned isolation and separation into a thriving industry. Uh, you know, we have Christian book clubs, we have Christian bookstores, Christian radio, Christian music, Christian schools, Christian yellow pages, Christian single networks, singles networks, we have Christian softball leagues. There's nothing wrong with those things. I mean, we all have a tendency to want to surround ourselves with people who will encourage us and support us in our our thinking, our worldviews, our values. And we certainly want our kids and our grandkids to be associated with those types of folks also. But when we do so, we can easily fall into the trap that the Pharisees did. Where we're the very people who are needing the help the most are avoided by those of us who are to be the avenues of that help. So how do we avoid missing the point? Well, how did the Pharisees miss the point? They misunderstood the biblical call to separation from the world. And you can see where they kind of started to get off base. I mean, the Bible does tell us over and over as God's people to be separate Leviticus 19, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Holy simply means to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be set aside for God's purposes. Um, in Ezra, it talks about how the Israelites would uh, to eat with those who had separated themselves out from all the uh, unhealthy Gentile practices around them. Numerous places, people are told not to marry outside their faith and outside their nation. You can pick up the same theme in in, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the second letter, where it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial, that's another name for, for, for Satan. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? So there's this, and he says, For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then, therefore, the Lord says, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. So there seems to be this, this biblical call to be separate, to be different, you know, to be distinct. But there's some confusion by the Pharisees. God's design was not for Israel to withdraw from the world, but to serve God as a light to the world around them. In the New Testament, there's this thing called the the Great Commission. It's Jesus' last words to the disciples before he ascends to heaven. Remember what what Jesus says? He says, go and make disciples where? In the whole world, all the world. So you can't do that if you're separated out, completely avoiding the people around you. You can only do that by being in relationship with the people you're supposed to reach and to teach, and a love for Jesus. You know, if, if we follow the logic of the, the Pharisees, if we continue to interpret God's call to be separate like the Pharisees did, then what does that say about Jesus? 
when you look at what Jesus did, then Jesus would have violated those, those standards, which is why the Pharisees were so upset with him. Because Jesus did not play by the same rules that the Pharisees did. The Pharisees, they defined this whole separation out, this righteousness out, by who you associate with, the places you go, and the things you do. But when the passage that was just read, we see that Jesus came with a different purpose and a different call. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees, Jesus didn't act like they thought a respectable rabbi should act. He didn't hang with the right people, and he seemed to seek out relationships with the wrong kinds of people. In Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus quotes what people were saying about him. Where Jesus says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what the Pharisees were saying about him. You know, of all the titles the Scriptures talks about when, in regard to Jesus, and there's a lot of them, maybe the most surprising and the most appealing to me anyway is Friend of Sinners. And, and the list of Jesus' encounters with, with sinners is long. Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, terminally ill people, the demon-possessed leprous Samaritans, promiscuous women, a Roman centurion, most of the disciples when they were called by Jesus. And so if being around sinners was the way sin was transmitted, then Jesus would have been infected. But we know from Scripture that he was not. That he lived a perfect life. I mean, what about the places that, that we go? Jesus didn't agree to meet Matthew at some out-of-the-way restaurant to avoid public embarrassment. Jesus went to his home, the home of a tax collector, a, a traitor to the Jewish people, a man who was known for exploiting and extorting his fellow Jews. I mean, that would be like a pastor going to the home of a, a well-known drug dealer or, or going to the home of a stripper. There was a direct association in the Pharisees' minds with sinful people and the places they inhabited. But if we want to, if we want to be people who, who reach people for Christ, we need to follow Jesus' example, which was this. To meet people far from God, you have to go to where they're at. Pretty simple. To meet people far from God, you have to go to where they're at. Now, now let, me, let me qualify and clarify. I'm not saying that we should rush into any place. Uh, sometimes it can be foolish to go somewhere where your conscience is compromised or where the temptation is too great and you fall. I'm not saying that. But if we want to reach people far from God, we have to go to where they are, which is what Jesus did. And you know where you can meet people far from God. Probably not in the church. It's probably going to be in schools or in recreation leagues or, or work or neighborhoods or, or volunteer organizations or recreational activities. The, the opportunities are, are endless. And is that risky? Maybe to some degree. Would it be safer to isolate yourself in a Christian-only world? Maybe. But safety is never the issue Safety is never the consideration when we're called to follow Christ. 
It's not take up your cross and follow me if it's safe or if it's comfortable. It's take up your cross, follow me, obey me, take a risk, give up your life, be willing to give up your life for my kingdom and the sake of the people around you. With all that said, our strategy as a church is not going to be to have more church meetings about how to talk about reaching people. We, if we want to follow the example of Christ, we are to get out of the church, out of the subculture, and into the world so we can build redemptive bridges of friendship. You know, it's, it's obvious that Jesus enjoyed all people. He participated in things that the Pharisees found scandalous. So what made Jesus so winsome, so attractive to people who were far from God? Phil Pienzi asked the multi-million dollar question, how did Jesus, the only perfect person in history, manage to attract the notoriously imperfect? How did he do that? Because it's clear when you look at the Gospels that almost everybody except for the really strict legalistic religious people, almost everybody loved to be around Jesus. And he loved being with them. I mean, when Jesus goes to Matthew's house, he's going and saying without reservation, I enjoy you. I feel comfortable with you. I want to get to know you. I, I care about you. And this would have been scandalous to the Pharisees. And it must have blown Matthew away because he saw something in Jesus' eyes that he had never seen in the eyes of a rabbi before. What did he see? What can we learn from Jesus? Well, Jesus took the initiative. He invited himself into this person's life. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He was willing to interact on their turf. He didn't start by inviting Matthew to the synagogue. Hey, come to the synagogue. Let's have a little Bible study and let's talk about things. Jesus gave up the home court advantage. He went directly to Matthew on his turf. Jesus wasn't repulsed by sin or sinners. You know, I I wish I knew, I wish the scripture gave us direct stories about how Jesus would respond to the inappropriate jokes that I'm sure he would have heard at these parties or the things he might have been offered at these parties, the things he heard that were, you know, that were wrong or sinful or whatever. We don't know how he responded. But we do, I'm pretty sure, that he didn't respond with condescension. He didn't respond with judgmentalism. And he didn't respond by making them feel like, hey, I'm better than you and you should feel awkward around me. How dare you say these things? I'm a rabbi. Jesus also genuinely liked all people. He loved all people. He enjoyed being around them. And he was always completely himself. He was the same person, whether he was praying to the Father, whether he was teaching the disciples, whether he was healing somebody, or whether he was, he was in, a, in a party with a tax collector and, and, and a promiscuous woman. He was always completely himself. In Becky Pippert's classic book, Out of the Salt Shaker, she sums it up this way. Our problem in evangelism is not that we don't have enough information. It's that we do not know how to be ourselves. 
We forget we are called to be witnesses to what we have seen and know, not to what we don't know. The key is authenticity and obedience. And Jesus' motive was, was pure. We've seen in previous weeks how often the, the Pharisees would do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Or they would do the wrong things for the right reasons. But Jesus didn't do that. His motive was, was pure. His motive was to love all people, especially those who were sick, those who were far from God. So back to the circling back to the question, how do we be in the world but not of it? That's a tricky thing. People of good intent disagree about this. How do you do it? What's that mean? Well, the Bible defines being of the world this way. Do not love the world or anything in the world. This is from 1 John. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not with him or in him. For anything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he's done and what he has comes not from the Father, but from the world. So John contrasts these two ways of life. The way of life that um, is in the world and of the world, and the way of life that is in the world but not of the world. The way of a person who seeks to honor God and the way of a person who seeks to satisfy themselves and win the approval of others. The way of a person who lives for what they can see and the way of the person who is motivated, motivated by the love of Jesus and, and, and by the things, the unseen realities, the spiritual truths that we cannot see. So, so what does it mean to be in the world but not out of the world? I think... Rather than being separated from people necessarily, I think it's more about being separated from certain world systems and worldviews like materialism or hedonism or paganism or whatever you want, whatever ism you want to put in there. God wants us to be separated from sinful worldviews, not from people who think and act differently than us. You know, one way to think about this is United States, we have embassies in a lot of different foreign countries around the world, right? And when we send an ambassador, they are to be fluent in the language. They are to understand the culture. They are to engage with the people around them and understand the people around them. But they must never forget that they are citizens of a different nation with different values and different priorities. And we must remember that our enemy is not the people around us. It's, it's, it's Satan, and Satan and the forces of darkness, they want us to remain in our Christian cocoon where we're not a threat to their business of keeping people far away from God. We must remember our calling to go as Jesus did and to draw near to people who are far from him. You know, our only real hope for true lasting impact is for the people who call First Covenant Church to have such a deep love and deep joy in Jesus Christ that they have a deep burden and love for the people around them who are far from God. Now, I don't want you to leave today saying, yeah, that's right. Our church should be, should be more connected to our world. We need to be more intentional as a church. I want you to leave here saying, no, I need to be more connected to the people around me. I need to be more connected with my world. There's a world of difference. I want to close with this story um, from one of Tony Campolo's books. It's sort of a parable about this. 
he tells the time when he was speaking in Hawaii and he's from the East Coast. And so his body was body clock was off and and he woke up, couldn't sleep. And so he went to a coffee shop in the middle of the night, about three in the morning. And when he was there, a, a group of prostitutes came in and sat down at a table next to him. And he heard them talking. One of them said, hey, tomorrow's my birthday. One of them kind of sarcastically said, well, big deal. What do you want a birthday party? And the birthday girl said, yeah, not really. I'm just telling you it's my birthday. Besides, I've never really had a birthday party. I wouldn't even know how to act. When the women left, Campolo asked the waiter about the women. He said, oh, they come in every night about the same time. And he said, what about the lady whose birthday? He said, oh, that's, that's Dorothy. He said, what if we have a birthday party for her tomorrow night? Here in the cafe. And the waiter said, well, that's a pretty good idea. So at two the next morning, Campolo came in with a crepe paper and balloons and he decorated the cafe. And the waiter had let a lot of her friends know so they could come and surprise her. And he baked a cake and put happy birthday, Dorothy. And she walked in and everybody started singing happy birthday and her eyes filled with tears. Later, when Campolo got ready to leave, the waiter asked him, hey, what do you do, Tony? He said, I'm a minister. He said, a minister? What kind of church do you work at? And Campolo said, I'm a minister at a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at three in the morning. And the waiter said, no, no, you're not, because I'd go to a church like that. When the Pharisees criticized Jesus because of who he hung out with and where he went, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Let's not miss the point like the Pharisees did. Let's not pull away from the very people around us who need help. Let's follow the example of Jesus and be intentional as, as, as individuals and draw near to those who are far from God, introducing them to Jesus who loves them far, far more than they can ever, ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that, Lord, when we were far from you, that you reached out to us, that you took the initiative, that you met us on our turf, that you sent Jesus Christ to come to earth as one of us. Lord, we thank you that through faith in Jesus that we can draw near and be at peace with you and find forgiveness and salvation. Father, we pray that you would work within us through your spirit to create a real burden, a real urgency, a deep love that just nags at us, uh, that has a heart for the people around us that we know, people in our families or friends, co-workers, neighbors, even strangers on the street, Lord, who, who are far from you, who have real needs. So, Father, we... We ask that you would work in us and through us um, to be intentional, um, to really embrace and seek the title that Jesus received. And I'm sure he really liked it, to be called friends of sinners. Uh, Lord, because that's who we are. We have all fallen short. We're all in need of your help and your grace. Lord, help us to, to do that for your glory and the benefit of those around us in Jesus' name.